that was a really difficult point in time was combining finances for the first time with somebody else. I'm a saver. He's a spender. We now have this little person who we're also trying to keep alive. And he's working for $10 an hour. There was a lot of moving parts there and like truly grace of God moment, like we're still together. I don't understand it because he would spend like there weren't bills and I would save like there wasn't spending. Welcome to the Smart Money Mama Show, where moms get real about money to help you find your financial confidence and live your best life. Now let's talk money, mamas. Hey there, I'm your host, Chelsea Brennan, and mamas, today on the show, we're talking to Caroline Wenzel. Caroline is a money-saving expert, especially when it comes to her family of six living on one low income. She's a master of living on a tight budget and still having a full life. So today, she's here to share with us her story, living as a family of three on one $10 an hour job, saving enough to buy their first house, and learning how to manage money as a young couple with completely different money personalities. If you don't make a lot of money and have wondered how you can reach your goals, then this episode is for you. And if you struggle breaking out of the scarcity mindset and spending money, this episode is for you too, because Carolyn and I both know what that's like, and we get honest about it in this episode. As always, stick around to the end of the show to hear my top three takeaways from this conversation with Caroline, or you can head over to smartmoneymamas.com forward slash Caroline for the complete show notes and to download your free Meaningful Money Goal Kickstart Guide. Are you ready, mamas? Let's get started. Hey, Caroline, welcome to the Smart Money Mama Show. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to talk about your whole story because we actually did a mini mama interview with you a couple weeks ago. And there were so many things that I was like, she's got to come on the show. We got to talk about this for the whole hour. (laughs) So tell me about the beginning of your money journey for those who didn't see that mini interview. Oh, gosh. How far back do you want me to go? Like childhood? All the way back. Bring it all the way back. Okay. So guys, I grew up a rich white girl from the suburbs of Philadelphia. My parents were like ultra wealthy. We drove Land Rovers and BMWs. Then as a child, of course, like I'm like 12 years old, they announced that they're getting divorced. It was like a light switch went on. We went from going and shopping at Nordstrom. We would get gifts for no reason that were super expensive. And then they went bankrupt. Our entire world changed. It was all of the lavish stuff. And then boom, we had to sell the cars, get rid of everything. They didn't buy them. It was they were probably repossessed. I don't really know. There was no heat in the winter. We were eating ramen. It was it was night and day from where we grew up. Oh, my gosh. It was a thing. And people think that I'm exaggerating. I'm really not. It was like freshman year of high school. We went from shopping at Nordstrom to going to Salvation Army. It was a thing. (laughs) Okay. What did your parents do for work? My mom was a homemaker and an artist, and my dad was in sales. We went from, like, I'm sure that it was a roller coaster of things, like, doing really, really well. You know how sales are? Like, some years are really good, some years are really bad. And if you're not careful with your money and you're riding high off of good years, then things can come tumbling down if you're not careful. I got to see that kind of unfortunately, firsthand for both of my parents. And that kind of shaped a lot of things around money for me. (laughs) I would imagine. So what were you hearing from your parents about money at this point? How did they talk about it? It was really fascinating. We were never brought up talking about money. It was kind of one of those things that like, we just don't talk about that in our house. 
it wasn't until I was probably, I don't know, maybe like a freshman or a sophomore in high school where we were starting to talk about credit cards in school. And I'd never thought about it, never really thought about that piece of plastic that my parents handed over until I brought it up to my dad in passing. And he was like, credit cards are the devil. Never get them. They will ruin your life. And from then on, I was like, I will just never get a credit card. And I carried this mentality of if I don't get a credit card, I'll be fine. I'll never have debt. I'll have a perfect credit score. I'll be that person who just like can walk in anywhere and get whatever they want because I don't have debt until I was 19 and tried to apply for a car loan. And they were like, you don't exist. According to credit, we're not giving you anything. Like I was laughed out of a car dealership. They were like, you genuinely don't exist. <laughs> so. It's so fascinating that it was just tied to credit cards because a car loan is also debt and you just didn't associate it that way? No, they had leases. We never oh. owned houses. We rented them. And so when they got divorced, oh my gosh, please, mom and dad, if you're listening to this, I'm sorry. But when they got divorced, there were no assets to split. They were never saving up for retirement. We didn't have houses. They leased the cars. And so when they couldn't afford the lease, I guess either they got repossessed or they just kind of had to turn it over to the dealership. There were no assets. And so we never had those kinds of conversations about wealth and property and things that you actually own because they didn't really own anything. You know what I mean? I do. And it's so interesting that like, as a kid, your mindset, and even now when you talk now, like we grew up really rich kid, wealthy, but it depends on how you define wealth, right? They didn't actually have any money or assets. It was like kind of, it sounds like a lot of renting and... It was a facade. We had a five bedroom house on 13 acres in Philadelphia. It was a multi-million dollar property that we rented. Like, so wow. it looked really good until you realize it's not an asset for them. And of course, I never knew any of this stuff. It was just as a kid, you're growing up, it's like, this is home. It was what it is. Now that I'm an adult, I'm like, but where did the money go, guys? (laughs) (laughs) I don't understand. I mean, if I had the answers, I would give it to you. But honestly, the only answer that I keep getting from, from both of my parents was frivolity. It was frivolous spending my dad would make six figures. It wasn't like he was, you know, selling light bulbs or something. It was multiple six figures. And there's nothing to show for it. And that to me was kind of like looking back on it, you know, as a kid going through tough situations, you're like, I'll never do that to my kids. It was that moment of like, oh, I'll never do this to my kids. Divorce is one thing, but not giving them any financial foundation. And not giving them stability and assets that they can carry on through the generations, like not teaching them that stuff. That I'll never do to my kids. <laughs> so you're 19. You get laughed out of a car dealership. What happens in your money story from that point forward? Well, I skipped the part where I got pregnant in freshman year of college. Oh, guys. <laughs> just a, just like, a minor thing. Minor there. things. Minor things. I did pay for my first car in cash when I was 17, though. But that's another story is I got pregnant in freshman year of college with my now husband, then fiance, because, you know, normally 18-year-olds get engaged after meeting somebody for six months or three months, you know, whatever it is, minor details. So I got pregnant and we moved in together, had a baby. I stopped working because we realized that the cost of childcare 
would far exceed anything that I would bring in as a 19-year-old with a baby. I stopped working and we lived off of my husband's $10 an hour job. Yep, let that one rattle around. And this was in 2010. So it was a long time ago, but it wasn't that long ago. That was a really difficult point in time was combining finances for the first time with somebody else. I'm a saver. He's a spender. We now have this little person who we're also trying to keep alive. And he's working for $10 an hour. And there was a lot of moving parts there. And like truly grace of God moment, like we're still together. I don't understand it. Looking back on it. Because he would spend like there weren't bills. And I would save like there wasn't spending. And so we're constantly overdrawing our bank account. Constantly getting late fees. I had, oh gosh, we're going deep here, Chelsea. I'm really sorry. I had this $12,000 nest egg that I had saved up over the years. Again, I'm a saver, not a spender. Like my splurges were like once a week trips to Panera, that kind of thing. So I had this $12,000 nest egg. The way that we had our bank account set up was that if there was the overdraft protection was taking things out of savings. And if you're not watching your bank account, you don't realize that you no longer have $12,000 in that bank account that you've been saving up for since you were 16. It is now gone because you weren't watching your money. And now the credit or the debit card isn't working. There's no money to be withdrawn. And you're still 13 days before you're going to get that next $700 paycheck. So what did you do in that moment? Cried. Cried a lot. There was a lot of crying. There was a lot of, of blaming. But the healthy part came out when it was like, okay, what can I control? What can I change? And a lot of that came down to how can I find ways to save money? What can I do to just save anything, to make life easier on myself, to make some extra money if I had to? What can I do? So, I mean, we're talking like I filled up a half gallon milk jug with sand and put it in the toilet because apparently that makes it easier on your water bill. We're talking, I made so much with beans and rice. Like we basically lived off of beans and rice for a long, long time. We did cloth diapers for our kids. We did, you name it, we did it. Asher, my husband, Asher, biked to work. He walked to work. We lived with one car for a really long time. Didn't get anything brand new. Always got hand-me-down, secondhand, looked for discounts, did couponing, which was horrible. It was absolutely horrible. 10 out of 10, do not recommend extreme couponing. I mean, $10 an hour, living as a family of three. I get the hand-me-downs, I get everything else, but like where, how did you make that work? I mean, even just bills, it's hard to live on $10 an hour. It is. And that was the cool thing was I found that if I was able to reach out to companies and say, I can get a better deal, what can you do to make this work? did a lot of good for me. We got rid of cable. And I was like, hey, so you know, the internet itself back then was like $30 a month. Like I can get a better deal with I was with Comcast, I can get a better deal with Verizon. What can we do to meet in the middle? And it was like, you know, they would lower it to $20 or something. I'm like, that's great. $10 a month that I will put directly into savings. It was a lot of things that were small like that. But that stuff added up. And we didn't have I guess we just didn't have a lot of expenses. We kept it very, very bare bones. I was also that mean wife. I'm going to tell you the mean wife story. 
because I'm the saver and my husband is the spender, I would give him $20 in cash every week. And once it was gone, it was gone. Because his problem was he would go to work and it was, oh, it's just a dollar. And he would get something from, you know, the gas station around the street. He works a blue collar job. It was just a dollar here and there that really added up for him. And sometimes he would, it would be Tuesday and that $20 would be gone. And it would just tough cookies. That's the way it is, man. Like you spent it. Now you've got to deal with it. For him, it took a long time of a lot of resentment of, oh, this is my money. I've worked for it. It's mine, 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 mine. Give me it. There was a lot of that that he needed to go through. In giving him just the $20, that was kind of like a reality check for him. Like, wow, I went through that really, really quickly. And this was, this is over months, guys. This didn't happen in like a week or something. It was a long time before he really realized, I have a problem with spending. I need to look at this and say, how can I make this last? And for him, once he saw that change, especially like how he can make things stretch and make things last, and he didn't have to spend it just because he had it. That started changing the way that he looked at a lot of things in our life as a family, too. How did it come to a place where you were the one managing all the money and like controlling the budget? Was that a conversation that happened or was it just something that you naturally took over? It was kind of a natural progression. I've always been that way with money is I I like to look at money. I like finances. I like numbers. I like econ. That was going to be my minor in college and then, you know, baby. But (laughs) so that just kind of happened was I had our bank account initially, like the bank account that we started using as a couple was mine at first. It just kind of started that way. And even now, part of our will is our bank account information, because I still don't think that Asher knows how to access it. (laughs) Honey, if you're listening, I'm really sorry. We got to get you guys a family emergency binder. Yeah, you do. (laughs) (laughs) Let's talk about that, Chelsea. Um, But yeah, it just seemed like it was a natural thing when I'm not claiming, I would never claim that I have the healthiest money habits in the world because I know that I don't. I am miserly to a fault. I have worn shoes that I've had to super glue the soles to. I make six figures with my business and I still wear shoes that I have that have super glue holding the soles together. I have a problem with spending. But I think that it's kind of healthier than having an overspending problem to have an underspending problem. But I mean, I'm not faultless in this. Like I know that. Does that make sense? It does make sense. Well, and and we've talked on this podcast before about I was in the same place and I still struggle with that a little bit of like, I just want the money to grow. I just want it to sit in the bank account. And this struggle with like, but we have this money for a reason and like I'm worthy of enjoying it as well, not just piling it. But it's work. Like I think it's it's a harder habit to break, I think, than overspending because exactly what you just said, there's a part of it where it's like, this is helping me. Exactly. This is a healthy problem. And it's still one of those things where it's like, no, because if I had my way, I would literally just live under a bridge and I would go to the beach whenever I wanted to, I guess, you know, because I can, I guess I'll just walk there because that's free. Like Scrooge from a Christmas store. No, Christmas Carol. I feel that like, yeah, you don't need, you can wear a coat. (laughs) You don't need to turn the heat up. It's a problem at the same time, the same way that overspending is a problem. But I do feel that. It's the mindset of, 
but this is a good problem. It's hard to break. We've now brought up a whole bunch of things we got to talk about. Oh, no. I'm sorry. I've opened Pandora's box. <laughs> no. This is – for a podcast, this is perfect. It's good radio. We're going to talk it through. Okay. you $10 an hour to six figures. How did that progression go? Was it something that happened quickly? <laughs> very, very slowly. I didn't start my actual business until 2015, and it didn't start actually making me money until 2016. So between 2010 – and 2016, we were still living off of one salary of, and it went up to $13 an hour, which High that, rolling. Was a, that was a big deal then. At that point, when he was making $13 an hour, I had been intentional about making sure that we didn't let lifestyle creep get in on that. That extra $3 an hour went right over into savings. Any overtime that he worked went right into savings because I... I'm a forward thinker. That's kind of one of my burdens in life is that I'm always thinking ahead. It's a good thing and a bad thing. But in this case, it was a good thing because I knew that we, I wanted more kids and I didn't want our oldest to be 16 years older than all of his siblings. So we're going to need a bigger house and we can't afford the rent because it would be, you know, it was like $700 for a rent for a two bedroom house. And it would go up to like 15 if we wanted a third bedroom. That's not going to do it. Let's buy a house. Adorable little 21-year-old Caroline decides that buying a house is the best thing to do. This was in 2013. The market was absolute garbage. But rates were low. Nobody was buying because it was still kind of after, I guess, 2008. People just weren't buying. We wound up getting our house for $82,000. We were able to get a um, an F where do you live now? Lancaster, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. So it's kind of central Pennsylvania. It's not super amazing. Not a big fan. I'm Philly girl at heart. I want to move back. Trust me, but it's a lot cheaper here. We got an FHA loan and wound up only needing three and a half percent down or something to buy a house. That's where all of the money that we had saved up from his three dollars an hour increase and overtime. It all went to that. In that process, though, of putting all of that money away, I'm a bad person because I didn't tell Asher <gasps> any of it, any of it. I know that you're probably going to get like nasty comments about financial abuse, and I'm really sorry in advance. I'm really sorry about that. But for him, if there was money in the bank, if he could still swipe the debit card, then there was still money in the bank. Even if a bill was going to come out tomorrow, he'd still be able to swipe the credit card or the debit card and get money. And that would throw everything off. I saved all of it into a separate account in a separate bank, not as a way to like, I'm stealing your money and I'm going to spend it on shoes or something in a way that I was burned so badly by that savings withdraw overdraft protection. And I never wanted it to happen again. I saved up all of this money. It was $5,000 or something in this little savings account. Once I had enough for this down payment on our house, I told Asher about it. Initially, like, honestly, like, I don't blame him. He was mad. He was like, you've been, you've been hiding money? I'm like, yep, yep, I have been. He was mad and he went through like all the stages of grief, I guess, of anger, denial, and then acceptance. He was like, Wow. You did all of that without me even noticing? I'm like, yeah. Did you notice? 
Did you feel like you were starving or had to go without? No, you didn't. That for him was another turning point of if we watch our money and are intentional with our savings, we can do amazing things. We wound up buying our house. That was fantastic. Bought a new car after I got laughed out of that dealership, went to a new one. But it wasn't until 2015 after the birth of my third son when I was like, I need to do something. And that was when I started my blog, which started out as started out as a homeschooling mom blog, which if you know me, I tried to do like, I know how to cook. I am super mom. No, I am not. And I'm so glad that it evolved out of that. But that's kind of the progression of how that went. Sorry, that was like really long winded. No, it was so good. <laughs> so Asher, is he better with this with the spending problem now? Yes. Yeah, it took a while to get there. And there are times where he still, he has, for whatever reason, they have vending machines at work. And so he'll still swipe the card and like, dude, you spent $40 at the vending machine this week. What is up? He's like, oh, yeah, I'm really sorry. Yes, you should be. He's like, yeah, I'll just take a $20 bill next week. I'm like, yeah. So it's kind of like a reset for him. It's not a I'm nagging him thing. Because I know from the outside, it's like, oh my gosh, you must be the worst wife ever. There are some days that I am the worst wife ever. But ultimately- <laughs> There's days we're all the worst wives Right? Ever. So here's the thing though. The way that we've been able to save, we've gone on vacations. We've cash flowed all of our vacations. We cash flowed him buying a new motorcycle. We've cash flowed him going on motorcycle trips. We cash flow sending our kids to private school. We cash flow- everything. We don't have debt. We have a mortgage, but that's it. We are very conscious about being able to use our money for things that are important to us. And for Asher, he really wanted a motorcycle. And so I said to him, this was a few years ago, if you can save up the money, I will move it over into a separate savings account for you. If you work any overtime, it'll go there. And that man has the work ethic of a, a horse or something. I don't know. What has a good work ethic? Like An ox. There we is... go. An ox. Let's call him an ox. <laughs> He's amazing, guys. <laughs> he really is. He worked his butt off. And within like a month and a half, he was able to put $3,000 into buying a new motorcycle. He was able to do it because I said to him, if you work, I will put the money aside. And again, all of this stuff is just retraining, and it sounds so mean to say it, but it's, it is retraining the way that you're thinking of, well, I want this, but I guess I can never have it because I'm always broke, or I don't have enough in my bank account, or that's a lot of money. It is, but if you start saving up incrementally, if you put it aside intentionally, then it's there, and that's what it's being used for. So we've talked a lot about your husband. So I got to pick on you now. Go ahead. Please do. Because I'm like, he's going to hate me. <laughs> you mentioned that you have this need to save, this saving, oversaving impulse almost. How has that developed? So if you're, you're paying for vacations, you bought the motorcycle, you got a new car, your kids go to private school. How do you square that? I fight that every single time I pay that bill. It still hurts. Not because I don't have the money. It's always set aside. We upfront paid for our vacation for next year in the Outer Banks. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it's $4,000. That's a lot of money. I'm just going to spend it. 
And Asher's like, yup, hit that button. And he's the one who has to help me walk through spending. Just like I have to walk him through savings. He's there to be like, you know, you've worked for this. Why aren't you spending it? You deserve a vacation. And he's my little Jiminy Cricket on my shoulder who's like, it's okay to spend. Because I'm not kidding. Talking about spending $4,000 made my hands clammy. It made my hands clammy. Like, can you, you can't see this on the I podcast. I can't see you. But. <laughs> <laughs> they can't see your hands. <laughs> I know. It just, that's one of those things that it still makes me anxious. And it still brings up discomfort for me. And I am working through it, though, I promise. Once you spend it, can you then enjoy the thing? Oh, yeah. Okay. So it's just the transaction? It's the actual transaction that to me is like, what if I don't have enough money? What if something happens and I really could have used this money and instead I spent it on vacation? There's public schools. I could just send my kids to the public school. Why am I doing this? And all of these negative things, this self-doubt, this like, why are you doing this? Who are you to be spending this kind of money? You were a teen mom. Why are you going on vacation? All of that comes up. And it's just one of those things where it's like, it takes some time to feel okay with spending still. And it's interesting, the, the language you just used to describe the fear, right? Of like, and we talk about this too all the time of how much money is tied to senses of self-worth and identity. And it's like, the who am I? That's not money work. That's personal work, right? And I'll give you, I'll give you a tip. I don't think I've ever talked about this before on the podcast, but- I had the same problem. And, and to some extent, I still really do. Like I get super anxious when I have to spend the money. But for a while, the first several years my husband and I were together, I wouldn't carry a wallet. So like we, if we were going to go out and do something, I could not swipe the card. And so I was always the breadwinner. I always made more money than him. But the deal was we can go do fun things, but I, I, it will ruin the day for me if I have to like see the bill and swipe the card. So I just like never carried a wallet and he would pay and I would deal with the budget after the fact, and then it wouldn't upset me as much once I – it was okay if it was done. But in that moment, it, and it was – I mean, it was three or four years where, like, if we were out somewhere, it was just like, don't let me look at the bill. We're enjoying our date night. We're enjoying whatever we're doing. We have the money. We, like, budgeted for it. Just don't make me look at it. And it's not it, – it wasn't a healthy thing. But for me, that was a stepping stone to getting to the place where then I was comfortable that, like, we got to do this. I love that. I mean, not that you were struggling with that, but it's so true. It's this mentality of if I don't have to see it, then it's not happening. I understand that. And it is a really hard thing to get over. And there is so much of, I can't enjoy this if I know how much it costs. I'm thankful that a lot of times I pay before. And so then once I'm on vacation, it's like I'm there. It doesn't feel like I've had to pay for it. Like I'm just there. I show up. I'm at the beach. There we go. But it is swiping that card still, or even like entering a payment information online, sending that check in the mail. It's a real mind game for myself that I'm still working through. But I am thankful that I help Asher with saving and he helps me with spending. And again, we're not going out and I'm not buying the, the shoes with the fancy red soles or anything. And we're not living in a million dollar house. Like we're still living in our $82,000 house. But it is still work, even for little things. Like we went out to breakfast the other day for the very first time since February. <laughs> it's, it's COVID. COVID. 
<laughs> it was Valentine's Day was our last actual date without children. Even so, like it was a $20 breakfast. It was like a breakfast sandwich and a coffee down the street from our house. And it still was like, oh, I don't want to pay this bill. And I actually had to consciously say to myself, why? Why do you not want to? You have the money. You know you do. It's not like we're going out every day. Why are you frustrated with this? And I actually had to mentally talk myself through leaving money at the table. It's a real struggle. It sounds terrible to say it's a real struggle. No, but I'm so glad you shared this because I, all money channels, all personal finance education, everybody talks all the time about spending problems, right? How do we fix overspending? How do we fix emotional spending? But there's a lot of people who also are stuck in either, you know, the whole wealth equals worthiness thing or just a total scarcity mindset where maybe there was a time in their life where they had to put every penny away. And even though it's not there, that like fear and sense of like loss of safety still comes up. And so we have to talk about stuff like this. I'm glad you're sharing this story. That's exactly what it is, is I've seen frivolous spending in my life. Going back to the very beginning of this podcast where I told you my entire life story, I've seen my parents spend tons and tons of money. My mother had beautiful items from Tiffany's. We drove a brand new Land Rover. These things were not cheap. I got to see it. But at the end of the day, I also got to see that my parents ended up divorced. They weren't happy. They both had to file for bankruptcy. And I got to see money didn't buy happiness, but it could have bought them a lot of security. That to me was the lesson that I learned that I carried over into adulthood is if I have enough money, I can be secure. Do you have something you do enjoy spending money on? Like something you do for yourself? I do. You're going to judge me. I swear I'm not morbidly obese, but I love to eat. I hate cooking. I love to eat. I love to get Indian takeout. Chicken tikka masala is the bomb diggity. I would get that every single night of the week without question, without guilt, without shame. I would get that for myself every night, cook everybody else dinner, but I hate eating what I cook. <laughs> I'm an okay cook, I swear. I just, it brings me no joy. But sometimes it's like you do spend all the time cooking and then you just don't want it anymore. I don't want to look at it. I never want to see food again. Like, oh, <laughs> I just spent an hour in the kitchen making this. Don't make me look at it again. Have you ever had that happen with business stuff with launches? Like you work on a new product for so long that it comes to launch week and you're like, I don't want to talk about this anymore. Yes, you get burnt <laughs> out where it was like, I, I've said this like 86 times. I don't want to say it anymore. So I wind up just copying most of the stuff that I've used on my sales pages in my emails or vice versa because I'm like, I already said it and I don't have the brain capacity to say it again. <laughs> oh my gosh, exactly. I totally know that feeling. Now, I want to talk more about your business. Before we do, let's take a quick break to hear from our amazing partners who help make the Smart Money Mama show possible. Mama, let me tell you a little bit about one of my favorite money-saving apps. Ibotta is a free app that gives you real cash back, not points or codes you have to calculate the value of. And I've been using it for years, receiving hundreds of dollars in cash rewards. And today, we have an extra exciting announcement. For a long time, Ibotta has been focused on helping us cut our grocery bills, which goodness knows we need some help on. But now they're bringing that cash back savings to even more purchases we make every day with their new browser extension. 
Simply add it to Chrome, sign into your Ibotta account, and get notified every time you're shopping on a site that offers cash back with Ibotta. I've already used it for holiday gift orders, and all it required was a single click. Add the Ibotta Chrome extension or download the free app today to start saving. And Smart Money Mama's listeners can unlock an exclusive $20 cash welcome bonus with the code MAMA2020. Extra money to put towards your savings goals? Yes, please. So tell me about building your business. Were you able to invest some in getting started? So this is actually one of my favorite things. I started my blog for about $100. And that was, I know, woo! That was all of my spending money. So we each, now Asher and I budget uh, $20 for each of us for whatever fun money we want to spend each week. And of course, I never spend mine because I'm a loser. (laughs) I live under a rock. (laughs) But at the time, I had saved up $200 of my fun money. And I was like, I'm going to start this blog. And so for $100, I spent, bought my domain. I used a free theme on a blog. Like I know that there's a lot of people who are like, you can't start a blog for less than $1,000. I call BS on that. Who says that? People who want to sell you things. (laughs) says the woman who now has a blog coaching business. But I would never tell somebody like you have to spend $1,000 to start a profitable blog. I wound up just using free information. Because again, hashtag I'm cheap. I used free information that I was able to find all over the internet and wound up not spending another penny on my blog until about eight months or six months later. When I was like, I want to take this to another level. I wasn't making money at that point. I made 17 cents in a month. And I was like, this is amazing. That first payment from whatever your business is, it doesn't matter how much it is. It's like the biggest celebration. Oh my gosh. It was like, I mean, I high-fived everybody. I was like, I made money on the internet. Boom. Oh, wait, (laughs) not in that way. But it was like one of those (laughs) things where it was like, I made money from the internet. It was this moment of like pure elation coupled with, doing the math because I always math things. And I realized, oh my gosh, I worked like 50 hours a week for 17 cents in a month. I'm like, that's not even a penny an hour. That was when I realized I'm like, okay. Don't calculate your hourly rate at the beginning. Do not calculate it. It, You will be working for free for a long, long time. I didn't know that at the beginning. I really genuinely thought, Chelsea, you're going to laugh at me. I truly thought you hit post on your first blog post And just the internet money comes rolling in and like you make your $20,000 in a month in your first month from your first hello world post. I genuinely thought that. I really did. People are like, there's no, I really did. I kept hitting refresh, like waiting to see, (laughs) did I make money yet? (laughs) No. Hmm. How did you stick to it then? So so many people that they quit in like the first six months, especially if they're not making money. And if you were expecting to make money, you're just stubborn. I'm just really stubborn that and I don't I wish that I could really put my finger on it because I was having this conversation with Asher yesterday about what is it that sets some people apart? I'm not saying that I'm special at all. But I'm saying what is it that sets some people apart? Because so many people start internet businesses and then quit within the first month. What is it that sets people apart who wound up going to an Ivy League school after going to an inner city high school who's got a 10% graduation rate. What is it that sets those kinds of people apart? I really just think that it comes down to like, I had this forward thinking mind that was like, I want to make this business. Asher, God bless him. He works in a steel shop. 
I have big dreams. I want to have nice things. I want to have a larger than life life. Like I don't want average. I want more than average. And that sounds super materialistic, but that was kind of my mentality was I wanted more. I'm okay with where we are. I'm not overstretching ourselves, but I knew that if I wanted to take my life to a different level that I needed to do something. I needed to. I was in school before I got pregnant for marketing. That's always been kind of my jam is I like to do business stuff. My goal growing up, I have it written down somewhere, was little 16-year-old Caroline wanted to be the youngest CEO of a Fortune 500 company by the time she was 25. That was my dream life. For me, there was this part of my life that was just not getting fulfilled by motherhood. I love my children. I love them so much. But just doing mom things and like, okay, guys, we're going to print out a new craft and do sing-alongs and sing kumbaya. We're never going to get in fights. And everything's going to just be peachy keen. And I'm going to love to bake with you. That's not me. I tried so hard to fit that square peg into the round hole. And it just never worked. There was something in me that was never getting met. When I started blogging, it gave me this purpose and it reignited this fire of like, oh my gosh, I love business. I love helping people. I love making my own money. Like all of those things. Once I even got like the first little taste of it and I saw that it was possible from other people, I could see that there were other people succeeding in this, in this field. If you can do it, then I can do it. That propelled me forward through all of the quagmire of I'm working my butt off and not making any money. And that was just kind of what kept me moving through it. Does that make sense? It does. Have you ever read Grit by Angela Duckworth? No. Okay, you totally should. And it just talks about how grit being the number one indicator of long-term success, like your ability to stick to something, regardless of socioeconomic status and background. And, And obviously... We're not saying that there's not major racial and gender biases that still exist in the world. There really are. But when they talk about what what determines how some people do end up in a better place than others, it's the ability to stick to something when it's really hard and when it's not the way you thought it was going to be, but you're willing to to dig in and make it work. I'm going to go read that. You you should. It's really good. She's a great writer. Really good book. (laughs) But you know, I got to come back to this spending thing because- you say you want this larger than life life and you want nice things. How are you ever going to be able to buy them? <laughs> this is like true story, guys. I go to therapy every single week. Applause for therapy. <laughs> Going to therapy was just this thing that was so normal for us. I want you guys to know, please go to therapy. It's not something that gives you like a black mark that you have to carry around for the rest of your life. It's a beautiful thing. It helps you in so many ways. People laugh. I've been going to therapy off and on since I was like 12. I am I am full on go to therapy, everybody. Best thing you can do for your marriage if you're struggling, couples therapy. It's a beautiful. All the therapy. All the therapy. All of it. I'm working with my therapist through this stuff. And one of the things that he keeps telling me is, why do you feel like that? What are the chances that it's all going to go away? Because that's my big fear is what if the rug gets pulled out and it just all disappears overnight? And he's much more logical. And he goes, what are the chances of that happening? 
It's like, well, not very good. It's like, so is it okay to spend money if you know that it's not going to go away overnight? Well, then, yeah, it is. Okay, then spend the money. That's always the thing. So I'm working through it, but I do. Let me share with you my my vision for my life is I want to move with my family to the mountains in Virginia to be near Asher's family, whom I love. Hi, everybody who's listening to this. We're coming. I want to have a big house where I can see the mountains in every way around. I have the, I know where it is. I want to be there. I'm ready for it. That and we live in a small city house with four children and I'm ready for them to not be on top of me all the time. But it is going to take a while to get not just monetarily to that point, but also mentally working through all of that. And it's a process. And I'm willing to make it happen and I'm willing to see things differently and I'm willing to spend money living a life that I love. That's the thing is it has to be truly, truly worth it. And to me, that would be worth it. Beautiful. I'm so glad you have the vision for it. And I think that that is such a huge part of like when you're a person who struggles to spend money, if you don't understand your own why and it's not something you want really bad, it's it's hard to overcome that. But when you can see it, then it's easier. It's easier to get there. I will tell you that we had an episode really early on in the podcast. I'm not gonna remember the number where we had Lindsay Brian Podvin on. She's a financial therapist. And she talked about this bag, they call it the bag lady concept, where men, as they get more money, feel more secure. Women, as they get more money, actually increase their fear that they're going to end up bag ladies. That like, they're more afraid that all the money is going to suddenly disappear, even though it's not logical. There's this like real fear in general, like in, in psychology research. So it's something that a lot of people have to work through, especially if they've gone from $10 an hour to six figures to not feel like the other shoe is going to drop or something. Yeah. But also even for women, even if we're not solely dependent on our husbands, we are in a partnership. That's what marriage is. We are in a partnership. Divorce is is common. 50% of all marriages end in divorce. There is that insecurity of what happens if the worst case scenario were to happen and we do get divorced. And if the woman isn't bringing in any income, there's a genuine fear there. Like, again, I go back to my parents. My dad was the only income. My mom is an artist. Like, she has a master's in fine art. She's an incredible artist. But she didn't bring in any money. And so she was left basically with nothing. I keep telling people, I'm like, I don't care if it's a side hustle and you're bringing in like $100 a week, bring in some money for yourself. If nothing else, it does provide additional income for you, but also it's a peace of mind thing. Sorry, tangent. (laughs) No, I think it's a good thing. I mean, you must get this too with your blog, but like we're mom specific. And I hear from so many women who are going through divorce, who lose a spouse that are panicking, that like even if they manage the budget, they don't feel like they even know how to manage the investments or they don't feel like they made enough money. And anything you can do, even the small things, I completely agree. At least it gives you something to put on your resume if you need to go back to a traditional job, right? Exactly. Yeah, security security is a big thing. We're going to talk a little bit about dynamics for people who are kind of in that getting out of debt phase or not you weren't getting out of debt, but like building wealth, you know what I'm talking about, starting a budgeting journey without a lot of income. How were you budgeting? It was not a pretty thing. And we went through many, many budgets. We tried to do the online one and that was just too difficult. And I was lazy. 
And that became just a, a one more thing. And so I literally wound up doing this. This sounds so ancient. You know the manifest that you get with checkbooks? Yeah. I literally used that. <laughs> and I would keep it in my wallet. And I would just carry it with me. And any time that I spent, I knew how much was in the checking account. And even if it was like $100 in the checking account, I knew that I could go and fill up my car with gas and then subtract it and knew how much. I knew that I could go to the grocery store and pick up some milk and I subtract it. And it was super, it was super ghetto and super like intro level, like what are you even doing? But it worked. It was easy to do and it was something that I could keep with me and I kept it in my wallet. There wasn't any reason for it not to work. Like there was no excuses. It wasn't like a, oh, but I have to go into the computer. So that was the tangible side of it. But the other side of it was actually looking at where we had to spend. So our, obviously like your, your necessary expenses, your non-variable, your fixed expenses, that's the one. Uh, we had our house. I bought my car with cash, so it was never like an issue. But we literally had house, gas for the car, electric, gas, and food. That was it. And if we had any money left over, that would go to fun money. And then obviously the rest would go into savings. So that was like our bare bones. Our health insurance was taken out of Asher's checks already. He was already contributing to his 401k. But obviously, you know, when you're struggling with money, you're like not too concerned about that. It was very, very basic. And it wasn't until like, I mean, oh, an internet. But that was it. We kept it to like 10 line items in our budget. And anything that was a variable expense, we either kept it, tried to keep it under budget or it went away completely. Like we didn't do takeout. We didn't, which was so sad to me. We didn't get takeout. We didn't have date nights. Our date was going to therapy every other week. And that was expensive. It was $30 out of pocket, even with our insurance. But that was considered expensive to us, but it was worth it because have you seen the price of divorces? Um, <laughs> but that was, again, that was our, that was our date was therapy. But that was literally the only thing that we would spend money on that wasn't keeping a roof over our heads and keeping the lights on. With the checkbook manifest, method of budgeting, how are you keeping track of what Asher was spending? I gave him a $20 bill and I took his debit card. Oh, okay. That sounds really <laughs> terrible. So, but it was a, the problem that we identified after a period of time was for him, if he wasn't getting it declined, then he could keep spending. Even if he thinks he's adding up to thinks he's adding up to 20 in his head, that was a problem. We did the $20 bill method for a while. And then I wound up getting him his own debit card into a separate bank or into a separate account that every Monday he would get $20. And that was all that was on that particular bank account. And then if he went over, there was no going over. If there wasn't enough money, it would get declined. So that sounds really mean. But that was how Asher I actually spending. really love the separate bank account for fun money. I do too. <laughs> we adopted that a couple years ago where my husband and I each have our own kind of fun money account um, for a lot of different reasons. But like, I do like it that I know that that's just, that's what that money is for. Exactly. It gives it's me permission there. to spend it too. Of like, it's there for me to use it. <laughs> exactly. So true story. When back when we could actually leave our houses more freely, after therapy, right across the street was home goods. And my self-care was taking my fun money debit card and going to home goods. 
Now, I would just wind up smelling candles and never buying anything because that's a process that I'm working through. Mm -hmm. But, like, I would go there. And sometimes I would fill up my cart with stuff. Like, in springtime, I bought everything that had peonies on it. I love peonies. So, like, my house is covered in peonies right now. But I knew that I had that money on the debit card for the fun money. And I didn't even have to think twice about it. And you mentioned way earlier that you were negotiating bills. A lot of people are afraid of doing that. I know. And I understand that. So I'm a people pleaser. And the concept of having to reach out to a company, and it's like, oh, my gosh, they could shut off my service. They could say no and then blacklist me. They cannot and they will not. They want to keep you as a customer. They're not going to. Like, the worst thing that they can say is no. They cannot cancel you. They cannot blacklist you. They will not do either one of those things. So you are free to ask. Any advice on how to best ask? Yes, make yourself look really, really good. So like, be like, I've been a customer with you for X number of years. I want to stay with you. However, there is something like we're going to use Comcast versus Verizon as an example. So for internet or cable or whatever it is, I have a bill with Comcast and I call them and I say, hey, I've been with you for five years. However, Verizon just came to the area and they can say that they will lower my bill by $40 each month. What can we do to meet in the middle? Because I really like your service and I'd like to stay with you, but that's a really good deal. If you hear about another deal on like a promotional deal or something for Verizon, I have Verizon for my cell phone. I've reached out to them And I don't know if they'll do this or not, but I've reached out to them and said, I saw that this was an introductory deal. I've been with you. I've had my phone number with you since I was 13. What can we do to make these two numbers a little bit closer? Because this is a lot of money each month. I've been a loyal customer. I'd hate to go somewhere else. And they work with me. They've thrown in like a ton of different things. They've lowered my bill. They've given me introductory pricing, like added lines. They're really good. And all you have to do is ask. So the kind of hallmarks are making yourself look really good, saying that you've been with them for a while, flattering them, saying, like, I really like your service, saying that there's competition else or in your area. What can you do to meet this? And if you don't want to do that and you want to go the route of, guys, times are tough. I'm really struggling to pay these bills. What can we do? Be honest. Like, if you are struggling to pay bills, call your electric company call your mortgage provider. You might not necessarily be able to like get your next month of rent for free necessarily, but they're people. Just ask. If you need help, ask for it. And I also, the being kind and flattering them is a huge point, not just like this angry phone call. Oh yeah. Yeah. I am really, I can go one of two ways. I can go super like, oh my gosh, thank you so much. But I also worked in customer service back in the day at Starbucks. And if I got too chipper because someone was annoying me, it sounded like I was annoyed. And it wasn't until someone pointed it out to me. I was like, oh, I don't have a good phone rapport with people (laughs) if I'm cranky (laughs) with them. So when I get cranky, I usually hand the phone over to Asher, who's gregarious. and like, oh, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate that. I'm like, only a 10% discount. Ma'am, can I speak to your supervisor? <laughs> I am that person sometimes. <laughs> so, Caroline, what any last-minute advice do you have for moms on their money journeys? Just start. 
Oh my goodness. Please don't ever wait around for things to be better to start. Don't wait to get a raise to start managing your money. Don't wait for something catastrophic to happen before you start managing your money. Start now where it is and keep going because your first budget is going to be an actual dumpster fire. Like, true story. (laughs) We're throwing it out there. I mean, I think that my first 11 budgets failed miserably, epically, catastrophically. The thing is that you just have to keep going and keep editing where there's problems and trying new things and finding new places to cut back. It takes time. It took a lot of time to get into debt or to get where you are. It's going to take time to get out of it and get to where you want to be. All right, Carolyn, before we let you go, we have to have you try on our Smart Money Mama's sorting hat. (laughs) So the sorting hat is our version of the hot seat where we ask the magical hat to reveal something about you. Are you ready? No, but go ahead. (laughs) What is your favorite date night activity? Besides therapy. Okay. So, I know, besides therapy. Oh, man. Promise not to laugh. (laughs) Of course. It's getting takeout from my favorite Indian restaurant or from my favorite Vietnamese restaurant and watching Top Gear with my husband after the kids go to bed. U.S. Top Gear or British Top Gear? Uh, With Jeremy Clarkson. British Top Gear. There is no other Top Gear as far as I'm (laughs) concerned. Just saying. <laughs> Not that we don't love Dak Shepard and, you know. Yeah, that's, that's fine and whatever. But Jeremy Clarkson, Richard Hammond, and James May. That's all I have to say. <laughs> Captain Slow. Yes. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I love that show. I know, right? Date night at home after the kids go to bed is like one of the joys of having young I know you have a 10-year-old, right? He, Yeah. Yeah. I'm not prepared for that reality, by the way. <laughs> but it's, it is glorious. It is my favorite thing. So on Friday nights, true story, we send the kids upstairs a little bit early. And if we don't get takeout, I'll make Asher grill steaks or something. And that's our, our date night is literally sitting down, watching Top Gear, and eating steaks after the kids go to bed. They read in their room for a little bit. It is what it is. We're like, y'all can figure it out yourselves. Just have fun. Just clean up. This is our date night. I know. This is our date night. Like, <laughs> You guys were well prepared for COVID then. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We're real homebodies to begin with. We don't get to go out. We don't live near family either. So we don't have babysitters who we can just be like, oh, take the kids for the night. We were prepared. (laughs) That's awesome. Where can people follow up with you and see more of your work? Absolutely. Uh, CarolineVenzel.com is a good place to go. And I can give you my money-saving calendar if you want to give out a freebie. Absolutely. That'd be great. Cool. Well, guys... We'll put those links in the show notes. Caroline, thank you so much for joining us and sharing your story and letting me pick into your brain. (laughs) Absolutely. I hope that it helps. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Mamas, Caroline is so fantastic. I love the way she talks about money and her own story, admitting where she struggles and has made mistakes, and sharing her best advice for others working to save money no matter their income. As always, I've wrapped up my three favorite takeaways from this chat with Caroline to carry into your own frugal living journey. First, it's important to talk to your kids about money and how you purchase things. Caroline grew up believing her parents were rich and that they had all the money they'd ever need. She wasn't aware of how her parents got the things they had because they didn't talk about money. Some parents get irritated, saying their kids just think money grows on trees. But if we don't explain to them how we get money, 
what debt means and how we purchase things. How are they supposed to know that money doesn't effectively just grow on trees? Kids won't innately understand that you have to save, plan, and work for what you have. These conversations are crucially important, and the more you have them, the more comfortable they will become. And the more your kids will be prepared when it's time for them to budget and handle their own money. Second, don't be afraid to negotiate your bills. The worst they can say is no. Caroline learned how to negotiate her bills when she didn't have another choice. And a lot of families, especially in 2020 with COVID and all that's happening in the world, are in that space right now. If you need help paying your bills or simply want to make sure you're getting the best price, call companies you pay for services and kindly ask what they can do to lower your bill. As Caroline mentioned, negotiating can usually be done if you do it in a kind and appreciative way, like you would want to treat all people. Companies won't blacklist you or deny you services. No one will yell at you or belittle you. If they do, just just hang up the phone. Maybe find a new provider. Really, the worst a company can say is no. And if you emphasize your history with the company, your appreciation of their product, and your desire to stay with them, you'll usually get some kind of break. Finally, money stories run deep. Take time and revisit them more than once to allow yourself to understand those narratives and start to create positive change. Caroline and I both shared some of our own money story struggles today, and while we've come a long way, there's still a lot of work to do, and there always will be. You can't just do money mindset work once and never come back to it. Whether you're a spender who needs reminding that you can do amazing things when you budget, or you're a saver who forgets that saving up for something means that you have permission to spend that money and enjoy it, we're all a work in progress. Pay attention to your money beliefs. Celebrate wins and aim to be a little better than yesterday. While those negative stories will continue to come up in certain moments, especially stressful moments, you'll find that your positive stories get stronger, that you can identify and let go of what's holding you back more quickly the more you practice. You've got this. Mamas, I want to thank Caroline again for coming on the show and sharing her amazing money story. You can find links to visit her site and download your free Meaningful Money Goal Kickstart Guide in the show notes at smartmoneymamas.com forward slash Caroline. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcast. We would love to hear what you think. Keep talking money, mamas. I'll see you next time.